In today's episode of Consider This, we will have in the studio with us Drew Henderson and Justin Ebert, who work in our student ministries in the area of discipleship, and uh, Ryan Vincent and myself, Jim Johnson, um, are, are going to be sitting around the table and discussing um, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. And in our discussion today, we will be uh, sharing not only what the text means, but how it can apply to uh, those times in which we are sharing our faith with those people who do not know who Jesus Christ is. We hope you'll enjoy this podcast. Welcome to another episode of Consider This. Um, today we are going to be uh, continuing our conversation. Um, so the backdrop is about evangelism yet once again. And we've been spending a lot of time talking about different obstacles uh, that we have to it. We've talked about some of the very specific things that we go through when we're when we're talking about it. And uh, one of the most important things we remember is that we're being led by biblical ideas, mm-hmm. uh, by biblical texts, even. So what we're, I guess, what we're not saying is, is that you sit down necessarily and walk through the passage, which we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, walk through the passage with somebody as you lead them to faith. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying that this text really does teach us a lot about uh, what it means to be lost and found and um, uh, kind of what is the basis for our faith, what are some of the issues that that coincide. And so I'm going to kind of lead us through this discussion so uh, if you're listening, you may not be able to like, get a Bible out, but if you can, I recommend you do that. We're going to be uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I'd love to focus on just 1 through 10 as the primary, but then there's a lot of really interesting stuff that comes right after it, the last half of chapter 2, 11 through the end, um, I think are going to be good as well. But uh, let's walk through this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of read it in sections and then just kind of stop and, and, uh, and unpack it. And that first section literally is verses 1, 2, and 3. And so it goes like this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, followed, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the, of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So three verses that really point to, uh, I guess, our condition. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk a little bit about you know what, what, what you see in those verses that help us when we think about evangelism um, in terms of both motivation as well as even what we're trying to accomplish. So mm-hmm. thoughts? One of the first things that jumps out to me is that um, this condition is... Mm. It's not just like a, an intellectual position. It is like there's, there's a real, like Paul's describing a very clear, evil, spiritual yep. side of this. Yep, yep. Um, when he's talking about the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience. I think that is less of, you know, in Justin's spirit, he's disobedient. I think it's, he's talking more mm-hmm. about uh, something that is, uh, there's a real supernatural reality behind a dead condition in, in, uh, in a rebellion against Jesus. And uh, 
So it's, uh, you know, I've always, I've thought many times that evangelism is just, if I could get someone to read, you know, screw tape letters or <laughs> Mere uh, Christianity. Mere Christianity. Yeah, yeah. If I can just get there. you to C.S. Lewis and then graduate you to Francis Schaeffer, you would think your way into the truth. And, and that's probably not the case. So I think of the three things that stand out to me from the passage are the, are being dead um, the reality of our deserving of wrath because of sin and um, the disobedience which represents the sin and that all those three things are so related it's hard to separate one from the other but the sin results in death and that death is because we are objects of God's wrath now literally being children of wrath and so when we begin to talk about the good news in that um, it starts to make more sense we do like Lewis we think he has some weird theology when we start getting into these conversations um, that the wrath is actually God's wrath because he's the creator over these things and that separation that we have because of sin is leaves us in this dead state where there there is not something good and alive within us I think about um it, it, everything changed in my evangelism when I was sharing the gospel. I had just moved here, uh, or I'd been here for maybe a little bit, but um, I had done this, but I don't know if I ever really kind of felt the weight of the deadness of those I was sharing the gospel with. Going back to what you were saying, Ryan, I thought that um, if they tried a little bit and I really worked hard at convincing them that we could we could fill the gap. And then <coughs> you you for 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 me, it was I had kids. And I began to realize that even those that live with me all the time, I cannot win their heart. Mm-hmm. That you're you're doing the best that you can, but there's like a will outside of your own will that you're dealing with here. And it's when I began to really pray for those people because when you describe that, I mean, we can we can talk about the deadness that exists. So there is a um, an inability for them to do this on their own. Yeah. Um, so there's the inability piece, but. That inability in terms of their deadness extends over to me. If I were to walk up to a dead body, actually the best medical professional, if someone is dead, <laughs> um, all we do at that particular point is bury them. Mm-hmm. And um, so to, to recognize the, the need for and the supernatural act of both the proclaiming of the word, right? Yeah. So it's not just, it's not magic. We believe in the gospel. We believe in the power of the gospel, the life-giving power of the gospel. Um, so I believe in the words that I say there is life, mm-hmm. and then I pray that the Lord would provide that life inside of them. Yeah. And I think it's important when we um, work with people, talk to people about Jesus, I mean, like what you said, Ryan, um, sometimes as I'm sharing even with students, I mean, do you believe in Jesus like he is a concept? <laughs> or mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I do, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm all in. And then you start to read words like this, right? And uh, while it's not, well, we're going to just approach this completely from a negative standpoint. I mean, that is the reality for us as, as human beings. And the tough part is when we start to deal with people that, at least on the outside anyway, seem to live a good slash clean life, clean living, you know, these kind of things. And that's where it's important to start digging and really, you know, let me help you understand, you know, yep. where are you? Um, where? You know, what are your struggles? And I think the more that we do that, the more that people begin to, while again, I would say, Jim, you're, you're right. It's not, I can't just convince you of this, yeah. but it's a, 
matter of walking through life with people, their pains, their struggles, their, um, you know, things, all these things. Things like pains and struggles. Pains yeah. and struggles, yes. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a college student. Her name was Mackenzie. And uh, last year, she was connected to Rachel. And then she started to have some real complicated questions about the problem of evil which is just that you know, how can a good God allow, you know, if he's powerful and good, how can he allow bad things to happen to, you know? And so Rachel kind of handed her off to me and said, hey, she's, she's got some real fun questions. Could you spend some time with her? She's not a believer, okay? So we met for like four or five weeks in a row here at the church, and uh, we were talking about who God is and, 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 and working through many texts. And they're just constantly, she would say, well, I... That, I don't like that. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me, or that doesn't sound rational to me. And I just finally got to the point where I just said, I'm sure it doesn't. You're a corpse. Like, yeah. just so you know, these are spiritual truths that are for spiritual people, which is actually something Paul says elsewhere in one of the Corinthian letters. And so I told her, now, I believe that, that God can, can let his grace sure. and his mercy fall on you such that you can hear these things, but you don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. So... Right, right now we're kind of ships passing in the night. I mean, I'm you're a corpse. You are dead, and so dead dead people don't hear well. Well, and notice the text. I mean, I thought I think this is really interesting. I like how Paul says, "Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience." So, this is what we all were. Paul says, "This is you know," and, I, and going back to it, and, and, I, and before we move on, it's good to realize. Paul's writing this to Christians, and this is what you once were. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is what we once were. This isn't what uh, just everybody else but us. No, 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 this is what everybody is. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that he points out the direction that you just described, like as a corpse. What By a corpse, what do we mean? That, that they, they're not having fun or that they're not smart? No, that's not what I'm saying. They have no ability within themselves to please God. They have no ability in a saving way. They can do nice yeah. things. They can be really intelligent. They can get like a 34, probably not a 35, but they can get a 34 on their ACT. Mm -hmm. So they can do all of these things, but that's the ways of the world. That's the course of the world. And that's not the way of God. Yeah. And so um, the means by which they're living and the means by which they're even pleasing themselves is on a path that is completely different than God. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one, one other thing before we, before we move into the next section um, how important is it that a text like this really needs to be believed by us, that we're, we're dealing with people who um, their own goodness, we, we would say this, their own goodness cannot save them. Um, and then I wonder sometimes, we talked about this in the last one, Drew, does my, does my actions mirror what I just said? Sure. And we wonder if it does. Like this text says they are objects of wrath. Yeah. If, if we're all good, I mean, why share this? Yes. Right? Yeah. This, if really we have no issue, and what's kind of funny is, I mean, I think you could say that Christianity would be the only world religion that really deals with the reality of sin, right? And it's not doing better. It's yep. not yep. Um, submitting and hoping. It is by grace through faith. Trying harder. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You I don't tell dead people to try harder. Yeah. <laughs> Try to be less dead. <laughs> oh, you're doing a good job, Maybe actually. Try you're still dead. Try breathing. <laughs> um, I think about uh, in Stillwater, I meet a lot of people who give off the facade of being okay. Right, hmm. this, Drew, you've talked a lot about this lately. Kind of this facade of people seeming like they've their lives are fine if they were just to keep going. 
and I'm more and more seeing people who have everything this life has to offer and deep brokenness Mm -hmm. who have grown up in homes that are, you know, their parents are still together. Money has never been an issue. Um, They have friendships. They're intelligent, truly like all that this life has to offer and still some deep depression, anxiety, self-loathing, poor choices that are causing themselves and others Mm -hmm. harm, Mm -hmm. deep brokenness and people that on the surface would have no, no excuse other than this reality that there's something else. There's some, there must be some other answer other than finances and a stable home and loving parents and a good education, Mm -hmm. that those things can't fix something that's deep within us. That's broken. And this is the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is that answer, which that's why we believe it's so much more than just our opinion. This is just reality. Well, and I'll tell you, and that's why before we offer anybody, it's interesting going back to just how powerful the metaphor is in this text to offer somebody a way of life. Who's dead makes no sense. You have to offer somebody who's dead life (laughs) before they can have a way of life. And so that's why when we say to people who are dead, Hey, you know what you need to do? You need to work on your marriage. No, I'm dead. You know what you need to do? You really need to consider your finances. I mean, we're basically just putting makeup on a corpse, going yeah. back to Ryan's metaphor. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why we need to believe that it is through the gospel. Yeah. It is through, the, um, it is through the, the evangelization, so us telling the truth, us modeling the truth, us helping people through the truth, yeah. um, all under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit who brings life. But yeah, These first three verses... Um, on the one hand, they burden me. They they make me feel a real need to see my community as a lot of people that do not have life and need it desperately. Um, it really it, it pulls at my heart toward evangelism sure. when I read three verses like this. Sure, but these three verses also relieve me of some burdens in the sense that I'm I believe I'm unable to in and of myself like do the work for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and so like when I'm when I'm presenting the gospel and it's rejected, um, I can I can feel sorry for them and and even pity them, but I I kind of walk away saying, but it was really never up to me. To, I I I'm not the spirit in from Ezekiel 36 that makes dead bones you know come alive again. That's not me. I uh, I, I I preach that message, and then should the spirit. You know, should they turn toward the spirit and the spirit gives them life, that's great. And he will receive the glory. And if they decide to remain dead and the spirit does not, you know, quicken their hearts, yeah. to use an old term, yep. then the, he will still be glorified. Yeah. So it both burdens me and relieves me of some burdens. Verse 4, uh, 5, 6, and 7. Um, but God, and I think it's, you know, I think we're going to come back and use that phrase. Uh, answer that a little bit, but by, by God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So that first Two words, but God, I think is a is a great reminder. And going back to, I mean, it fits really well with what you just said, Ryan. Um, you can feel a weight from that text, but then you can also feel, but this isn't my responsibility. It's my responsibility to witness. It's not my responsibilities to make the bones come back to life. Um, and so it's it's really kind of a neat 
Mm-hmm. Reminder that Paul begins there in verse 4, but God. Hode theos, but God. It's like <laughs> you, you hear, I could just hear the preacher in me like, but God. You know, that's <laughs> such a great line that Paul wrote um, that we, I for, mean, for, truly everything hinges on that For those phrase. of us that, that write sermons or lessons regularly, that's a killer transition statement. And you, yeah, it is and you can't help but be like an 1850s preacher in that moment. Um, uh, yeah, I think we see, I mean, resurrection in this. You know, the resurrection, he raises us up in Christ because of what Christ has done. Um, that's we, we see baptism in that, right? That's yeah. why baptism is such a you know important part in the New Testament text is it is that symbol of mm-hmm. what is happening spiritually to us. Yeah. Where yeah. we're dying to self and being raised, not because of our own volition, but truly because of God's great mercy, which he has loved. The great love which he's loved us, which is an interesting phrase in yeah. and of itself, that somehow what Christ has won can now be handed over to us, not because of our deserving of it. Like we were children of wrath. Mm-hmm. And even in the midst of that, even while we were dead, even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies of God, Paul says in another place, Christ died, died for, for the us. ungodly. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's, a, here's the thing I'm just going to throw out there, and you guys talk about you know how, how this happens. When you're sharing the gospel, um, it, it's interesting. Using this text or even what this text is implying it's not, hey, you do know you're going to go to hell, right? Like, you do know you're going to go to hell. It's more of a matter of, do you understand how much God, and, and it's become such a cliche, do you know how much God loves you? Mm-hmm. Like, do you know, like, God's position towards you is one of, and this is how it begins, but God being, being rich in mercy that he has shown to us, this great love with which he's loved us. So it's, it's, it goes back to what Paul says. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, judgment is there and hell is there. I mean, I think those are realities. Um, I think that maybe to, to use that as a threat probably will be as effective as you threatening your kids is going to keep them from making poor choices. It just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's, you, it's not as much of a threat. I mean, I think of it both in literally how I share the gospel and in how I parent. A lot of times with my kids, I just tell them reality. Like, I just want you to know there's consequences to every choice you make. Some of those consequences lead to blessings. Some of those consequences are punishment or things that you would not want. And that's what we see here. It's Paul. Paul doesn't run away from the fact that they... You know, you're dead and you're yeah. children of wrath. Yeah. And so he's not like, he's yep. not trying to manipulate it. He's just stating a fact. This is the reality of the situation. But God, mm-hmm. being rich in mercy, like, here's the other side of the story. Yeah. Right? And so even with parenting, like, so you know, if that's the choice you're going to make, this is the consequence what you're not going to like. But just so you know, if you go on the other side, here's the consequence for that. Isn't that so much better? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and so it is, it's like, it's 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 the two-sided coin of here's the bad news here's mm-hmm. the good news and you have been given the good news as like a free gift that you can have it's not mm-hmm. like some secret thing that is only for certain people you can have this it's Everybody out there for it. you mm-hmm. yeah i think um when we think of motivating factors on why we share our faith you know we have a you know everything from the cliche if you died you know tonight would you go to heaven you know what would you how would you answer that question yeah. or a lot of people have this idea that um, we are just out to to get you saved, right? And that's my goal, to get you saved. 
um, was reading, well, here in Ephesians 2, verse 6, he kind of uses this language as God raised us up with him in Christ. You go back to chapter 1 in verse 10. Yep. Um, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's packed with a lot <laughs> right there. And so what would be a motivating factor? Well, it's two. That's the NIV. I yeah. forgot my ESV. No, no, no. But look at verse 10. I mean, it's interesting because yeah, that was verse two, 9. No, nine, no one. Like if you if he continues on, it really talks about how all of what we're describing fits into the overall plan of the God. plan. This is yeah. the will of God. So if you ever wondered, read yeah. one eight so, through ten. Yeah. I mean, how many times do I forget that I'm motivated? I have to be motivated by that. Yes. And he talks in uh, Colossians about being uh, reconciled back to God. And here in verse ten, it in verse eleven, it's more actually we're not going to experience reconciliation not only with God but with one another mm -hmm. until we find that in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so man what a message that our culture needs to hear. Yeah. Uh, and and see in yeah. us, right? They need to hear it and see. Everyone us. is fighting. Everyone yeah. is I mean th this is not a friendly time to live uh yeah. here in the US and many places across the world but um so that's not, uh, uh, and, and so many times the culture sends this message, I think kind of just cheap messages, let's love one another more, let's be patient, let's unite, and uh, really, we can't do that. That's, that's not possible. Yeah, apart in, from Christ, in, apart it, does, from it Christ, does not it seem to work. work. Yeah. We have no standard to judge yep. that by, and yep. so... Yep. That, at best, at, best, at best, we can agree to completely disagree, which doesn't last very long <laughs> on matters of importance. Yeah. yeah. So it just, it literally is, is, a, is an exercise in futility. Yeah. Because on, uh, lots of things matter in life, and unless Jesus orders them, yeah. which is what he's doing in, in Ephesians 1. Yeah, no, I, that's what I, th I thought it was really interesting. You read 9, and yeah, I, that's so important. That's so important. And then in 10, just this plan that God yeah. has. Somebody asked me, actually a friend we all know, um, he asked me one time, what's, what's God doing in the world? And the, all I could think of at that moment, it took me a while to answer the question, but reconciling everything to himself through Jesus mm -hmm. is what God is doing in the world. That's, that's a big theme. That's a Ephesians. huge theme. Under, like bringing all things under him, the churches under him, yeah. the principalities, the powers, all that under him. And that's the reality you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, the evangelism that we have is um, applied to each of us as individuals, but yeah. you know, we love to remind um, ourselves and as staff, that it, that the that God's whole plan isn't to get Jim to heaven. <laughs> God's whole plan is to be glorified in the world, and as He is reconciling all things, He has extended this invitation yeah. because He's so kind and He is so merciful. Mm -hmm. um, go back and even read how God's first move throughout the Bible. Most people see God as this judge who's judging, and a judge who's judgmental, and a judge who's angry. And I'm going first of all for the way I've lived my life, he has every right to be angry. Secondly, then why, how can you explain his patience with me? How can mm. you explain his kindness to me? How can you explain the fact that he doesn't just end my life after I've lived in rebellion against him? He is rich in mercy. He is abounding in love. He is mm -hmm. um, this great love with which he loved us. And that love, I mean, we're in the middle of the Easter time. So, and that great love with which he loved us is what? It's Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul's going to be driving at here. So. Can we nerd out for a second on some prepositional phrases? We would love oh, nothing yeah. more. Okay. The list went down, during, for, from. That's how I memorized that <laughs> yeah. list. Yes. So, two, four, two, four, in, with, by. Yes. Um, 
what are the what are like the the evangelistic and gospel implications of be he made us live together with Christ and then further down seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and then further down we are experiences experiencing the riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus there's this heavy union with Christ sure. kind of thing sure. and it's 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 another Ephesian theme but it just shows up boom 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 throughout this great section of Ephesians 2 so like <laughs> What what bearing does this? Or first of all, what does it mean to be like to be in Christ or with Christ? What what does that mean, and why do we? Why is that a big part of our message? It points back to um, to clarity and evangelism. So if we are going back to Justin, you described the brokenness that exists. So let me ask you this question: If I give my life to Christ, I won't be depressed. Like if I lo- give my life to Christ, then I won't. I'll be content with what I have. Like if I and and by the way, there's there's both a yes and a well. Let me explain that, right? And it's it's the let me explain that. I want to talk a little bit more about um, why do I still even why do I wrestle with these things at all? We have a positional change that has happened before God, and we yet still live in reality. We are in a living in a place that is not our ultimate home. Mm-hmm. So we now get to experience glimpses of what eternity will be like. And we have a security that we will get to experience that. And we have to remember that we're living in the already not yet part of it. We get to already now experience many of the good things that come from a right relationship with God, from having the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling within us, from living within the body of believers. Um, from living under the kingship of Jesus. But we are still living in a broken world, in broken bodies that are decaying, that are not the way they were intended to be, and they are not the way they will be. Sure. And so we're in this middle ground where it's some, if for the non-nuanced thinker is is seeming seemingly incompatible. And so we have to help people with that. And in salvation, we... We acquire Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the problems why people struggle, and again, depression is always a complicated term because there's lots of different ways in which that can be um, being worked through a person's life. But what I find really interesting is is that when, when, when a, a lack of satisfaction exists, it's because I don't know if they wanted Jesus, going back to the prepositions. Like what you actually have is in Christ. Well, actually, I was... I was kind of hoping that this would actually fix everything yeah. in my marriage. Yeah. Like I want to be blessed in marriage. I want to be blessed in my finances. I want to be blessed over my enemies. I want I want that. And I I love how this text and the prepositions that you described really tell us where. Yeah. And so I've I, there, I know a lot of people that are not that are still ha- not happy, that are still they go to church and they're just miserable. And I want to say, but don't you realize, like, you have Jesus? And, and honestly, when you begin to go through the prepositions, they're not interested in those things. I know. They're they not, wanted a better marriage or more obedient children or better finances. Or they even wanted something good like salvation. But it came, like, it's it's one package, actually. Like, you can't have salvation. You can have Jesus, and he will, and he will declare you righteous. And there, okay, salvation comes. But it's not something you can possess. It's yeah. a person. And that's why when doing the math, it's really, really helpful to say, well, how did you get there? Like, why are you still not content? 
Well, the answer is is that like you know the stuff that God gave me, blah blah blah, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, blah blah blah, His Word, blah blah blah. Like those things don't help me with my batting average. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in the ninth grade and you're trying to make a team, I mean, it's like none of those things help me there. No, actually, they do help you there. Can I explain to you how they will help you there? And if your ultimate goal, this is where Tim Keller has been so good. If your ultimate goal, if you're single, is to get married, then you've got a different savior than Jesus. If your ultimate goal, if you don't have kids, is to have kids. If your ultimate goal is to go back in time and to kind of relive those moments in which you're living with your kids when they're young, yeah, then that's not that's not it. So the blessings that are coming in the text that you described are in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So in the evangelistic conversation, we need to make sure that we are clear in terms of like what mm-hmm. people receive and what they get is Jesus. Right. And that we're attaching them to Jesus, not to something else, or that they're somehow, Ryan used a great illustration, I don't remember what context, but oh, it's school of theology. It's salvation is not the golden ticket, right? Salvation is a person. You've, yeah. you, you, have, you have Jesus now. You have that, the Holy Spirit within you now. That's what you have. Like four or five years ago, it, I, that was the first time I was kind of thinking through that, and I caused a little bit of an uproar in Tuesday morning Bible study when my opening line was, salvation is not a gift. And you're like, okay, get this guy out of here. <laughs> but then I, I, wanted, I, I wanted their attention, and then I said, but I, I mean that in this, it's not something that you can possess as if you have it in your hands, now you can go over here. It's not something you can take away with you. It's a person. Jesus doesn't offer resurrection. He is the resurrection. He yeah. is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He doesn't He doesn't give those things for you as like an exchange of goods, and now you've got your thing you yeah. wanted, and you go away from Jesus. It's, it is one package. It's all him. And when you're with him, you get the benefits of being with him, which is life and resurrection and salvation. And should you detach from him, you don't get those benefits. Well, and we're doing the cross stuff, right? He says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me. And we get we all want, want to talk about what's paradise like. Um, here's what I'll tell you: the only thing I know about paradise, truly, is that it's with Jesus. Yes. Like everything else is like highly, highly speculative. But I, I mean, as long as I'm with Jesus, it'll be okay. Yep. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I mean, is there going to be golf? I don't know. Is there going to be? I don't know. But my I pets. Do, my yeah, pets. Yeah. Is my pet going to sure make? Is, there, my, yeah. is my wife going to be there? Like mm-hmm. I don't know all of those things. But here's what I do know. I'm going to be with him. Yeah, I um, So that's huge. In a sermon I preached recently, I found this wonderful quote from A.W. Tozer. I can't find the sermon on my phone, otherwise I'd read it to you. But in a, in, in a paraphrase, he said, um, if you find the if you find worshiping Jesus dull and oh, uh and yeah. and boring or something like that, he said, you are not prepared for heaven. Yeah. And uh and I just thought, wow, that's that's amazing. We really we spend a lot of time reveling in the trappings that come with Jesus instead of in the Jesus himself. Yeah. And if you can't, if you can't catch yourself, I'm not talking about singing a song, although that's one way to do it. Um, I'm not talking about listening to a message, but sometimes I'm moved in the spirit when I hear someone communicate deep eternal truth. But if you can't be captured with a love and, and, and appreciation for who God is or who Jesus Christ is, then you know heaven is is, is a not not a place you you don't need to worry about it you don't need to worry about uh, you don't need to worry about being bored in heaven you don't need to, what are we going to do there like if if just being just caught up in the yeah. imagination of who Jesus Christ is and I think it's a whole lot more than that but mm-hmm. if that's not kind of like a primary understanding or goal 
then I, I think you don't need to worry about it. Which, you know, this is about evangelism, which means this is what we're giving people. Mm-hmm. Like when we're giving people salvation, you know, your, your thing is, is that it's not a ticket. So when we say we're giving people salvation or helping them find salvation, then that could be synonymous with we're helping them find Jesus. And the prepositions do that. Last section, uh, verse 8, 4, by, this is a lot, what a lot of us know off by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are workmanship, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. There's another prepositional phrase. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that last little bit really kind of underlines the um, the means by which. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Thoughts? I think you have to connect eight and nine to ten always right mm-hmm. and so like we talked a couple weeks ago um on the whole uh, do we really believe in evangelism and kind of got caught up in my own understanding of that is like belief is always connected to some sort of yep. action yep. at least john talks about that a lot in his gospel um and so you see kind of paul further fleshing that out for this church and so it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and now you have been created, recreated, made new, died to your old, your old self, your old life, being remade into the likeness of Christ in order to do good works, right? And so does the order matter there? I mean, I think so, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. No. And notice that in the, in the back, right, when you're dead, you can't do any work. Yeah. <laughs> and now that you're alive, you can do tons of work, mm-hmm. which then here's how this works for me when I want to share the gospel with someone. Um, many can feel overwhelmed by the works of unrighteousness that they did, their sinful mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. And you get to promise them, listen, like you don't need to worry about that. Like that that's not, that is what separated you from God, but you couldn't reverse that. Right. So it is by grace you've been saved. So the good news is, is that you're you wrestling with the, the brokenness that you're going through, the, the pain that you're going through to unbreak yourself or to unpain yourself isn't going to fix you. That it is, a, it is in that sense, a gift that has been given. It is Christ's life given in in exchange for our lives. That is so important that we actually see. So we're not calling people to a greater level of morality. We're not calling people to 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 try harder, uh, greater levels of self control. We're we're asking people to receive what Jesus Christ is extending to them, which is life. Think about what grace is. You know, we, we use words a lot and we don't really like, we just say them. We don't really, we just think, uh, we put in a meaning to yeah, every word, yeah, right? Yeah. But grace within that word, there is joy, there is gratitude, there is favor. Mm-hmm. All of these things go into the meaning of that word. Mm-hmm. And then, and those are things we think, well, those are things we have toward God. We're, we're grateful for what God has done. We we are so joyful for what God has done. We're so thankful He has shown us favor, and and think about like grace is from us or from God. From okay. God. It's from God, right? And so it's to think that somehow out of His His love, His love, out of His joy, His showing us favor, which we mm-hmm. didn't deserve, mm-hmm. right? We were again going back to the enemies being dead, being yeah. objects of wrath. That He has shown us this great thing, this great yeah. gift, which we now have great gratitude for. Uh, 
th- that makes that word so much deeper and more complex and oh, rich yeah. than just kind of this blanket term, which we maybe don't think through quite as deeply. And in the last couple of years, I've really worked through like, okay, if it's a gift, what does that mean? So if, uh, if I give, if I give Justin a, a gift, he, he really owes me nothing. That's how gift giving works, right? He owes me nothing. That was not the case in Paul's world. Mm-hmm. In Paul's world, when you gave a gift, it was social custom and quite binding that a, a, a gift was expected in return. And so it's an, it, gifts were exchanges, not just one person giving something. And so think about what that, the implications that has for yep. the gospel. Yep. If yep. Christ has gifted you his mercy, you owe him. And, and in a very real sense, you owe him your allegiance now. It's, it's, it's a patronage system. It, I think about like the, the first century ears hearing that God has given you this. And they're like, okay, well, what do we owe him in return? Your faith, your allegiance, your good works. Yeah, because there's nothing like tangible that you have that you could give God that he needs or really desires. Well, what Romans 12.1 says you are actually, your lives, your bodies are now a living sacrifice to him. Mm-hmm. That is that submission piece. To where we get it wrong, okay, so what you just said is not news to us, but it, it might sound as news to some, some people that are listening, okay? Here's, here's what Ryan is not saying. Ryan is not saying, and so we've got to do that so that we can get the gift out of God's hand. Nope. See, that's, that's, the, that's the wrong side of that. Mm-hmm. The wrong side of it is, yeah, so basically then this is just a bartering system. Like we, we promise to be good and God gives us the gift. That's what you're saying, Ryan? Nope. Not at all. <laughs> You're saying that, and, and this is what I find interesting, even though it's not true in our custom, I promise you, I know of very few people who can give of themselves, gift or no gift, the gift of time or the gift of whatever. You you extend kindness to somebody for a really, really long time and watch them show you nothing in return and tell me if you don't, if that doesn't register in you. Yeah. Yeah. It registers. Moms out there. Tell me you're not aware of those things that you've done for your kids and how they have responded in kind. And what's interesting is, is that now we know people who feel guilty for having an expectation of the kindness to be reciprocated. Yeah. And I'm going, maybe that's a human thing. Yeah. Now, there, there can be a dark side of that where I now hold it over you. Sure. That's, again, not what you're saying. Nope. But there is a natural, I, I feel the debt when Steve is kind to me. I feel like I owe him something. And mm-hmm. then I look at him, see, what do I owe you? And, and, and the answer is kind of nothing, but I guess, I guess what you kind of owe me is to appreciate yeah. me for my love for you. I guess, that's, I guess there is something there. And we feel that. Mm-hmm. Like everybody feels that. I feel this debt to my incredible wife who just keeps putting, and everybody tells me, I'm, I, uh, you know how lucky you are to have your wife. You know how blessed you are. You should be more grateful. Mm-hmm. So we talk like this. You know, Justin, you need to be really grateful for your parents, man. They are awesome people. You know, Drew, you got to be really grateful for Raccoon John Smith, the great preacher of old. And, <laughs> shed a tear. And, and you shed a tear. I mean, so it's very really interesting how even though we say we don't talk like that, there is no – I don't know if it's human. It seems like it's wired into us. It to, seems to, to respond really wired. to someone's gracious kindness. And so usually the way I describe it is uh, the Bible overwhelmingly describes God's grace as free to get, and it'll cost you your life. Hmm. So another thing to do is you read through Ephesians. I like that. <laughs> it's, a f- it's a free gift that costs you your life. That's yeah. good. Is look, look at walk. 
and Paul uses walk in other yeah. books too. Yeah. Yeah. But even in this section at the beginning, the things you once walked in, yeah. Paul uses as a metaphor for how you've lived, which is encompass- all-encompassing. The way you believe informs the things you do and the things you say. It tells us who you are, who you're attached to, who your allegiance is to. Um, and now he's saying at the very end, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because we've been created for the purpose, then the brokenness and deadness happen, yep. and we've been recreated in this sense with Christ, and he's raised us up, and now we're seated with him. And this mm-hmm. creates a positional change, but it also creates new mind, new desires, new words, new actions. And we walk in this reality that as yeah. the free gift is given, yeah. Yeah. and that free gift changes us and transforms us, not because of our works, we now are able and desiring to do good works because that's why God made us, to do these good things. Before the people who followed uh, Jesus were called Christians, what were they called? Followers of the way. Adherents of the way. There was a a pathway that that it just like, oh, wow, those those people just do it differently. Going that way. It's the way they live. Because why? Because they were following the way of Jesus. Yeah. So it's always been the way. It's the life that he offers us in Deuteronomy, which is the law, which was the school teacher that led us to Christ, um, who died in our place for our sins, that we might attain his righteousness as a gift to us, in which we then owe him everything. And that is why we share. That is, in some sense, we've talked about how we even share that. Um, I will say this. I don't know if you need to know <clears throat> exactly everything that we've just described in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I do know this. The more I've understood that and the more I've understood the implications of that, the more prepared I am to speak about it. Mm-hmm. And so I would even encourage you as we close, um, maybe spend some time walking through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and then 11 through 22 as well, which is that natural extension talking about that. Now, we have peace with God. We have peace with each other, which is, Justin, you were even describing that, that there is a a whole new way in which we live that um, people now see and are drawn to. So that's that's a text that can be really, really helpful for for you to think about, to meditate on, um, and then to take those principles. Like I said, you don't need to walk them through verse by verse, but to take the principles learned in that text and use them when you're sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with others. Um, we hope it's been a blessing to you, uh, both to you right now, wherever you are, as well as those you will share the gospel with in the days ahead.